All right, cool. Hey, uh, nice to be here, guys. Um, this is my family. Uh, it's my wife, Jen, and our three little boys. What's super scary is that Eden and Briar were that age when I first met them. It freaks me out, hard out, because like these growing women are here tonight, and I'm like, ah, because I'm getting old, which actually ties into what I want to talk about. But you know, that's my beautiful family, uh, and it just looks so good. Aren't we just a wonderful Christian family? Just so together and... And that's kind of not what our life is like. The next picture is more kind of like my reality all the time. So like our three boys are completely wild. We're raising animals and we're trying hard not to, but I just don't quite know how to raise them properly. So they, they're definitely in charge of our house and that's all good. Um, so just so just a little bit of our backstory, we can probably mute that one, um, is... Uh, we were in Christchurch for eight years, and uh, and end of last year, we felt like God was kind of stirring us to take a bit of a new adventure in Him, and so we've, uh, in faith, moved to Napier after a long process of discernment, and we're going to plant a church in Napier, hopefully sometime next year, uh, and yeah, it's really cool, we're kind of living by faith and just um, seeing what God wants to do there, so in that crazy phase. I want to um, explore a passage tonight uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, so if you've got your Bibles, iPhones, Android. Uh, tablets, or if you actually got a Bible, uh, feel free to open that to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. It's on the screen. If not, uh, it says this, It's written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, faith we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal." A really interesting passage, and there's stacks of stuff in there. I want to zero in on 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 in that passage. It says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day. And it's really interesting, again, like Paul, Paul who wrote like most of the epistles, like after the Gospels, is a freaking genius, like he is such a clever guy with the way that he uses the Greek language that are really difficult to capture in the English translations. And it's, again, just a side note, it's interesting because Jesus picks the 12 Muppets, basically, to like follow him, which is super empowering for all the Muppets in the room. And it's like, oh, yeah, I can be used by God, so, which is cool. And, you know, and let's not explore how much of a Muppets they are, because, but they're, they're grade 10 Muppets. And then like, but then he picks Paul, who's a literary genius, to write the, most of the New Testament. And what Paul does here is really interesting because he says this thing, God God is renewing us every day. And he used a really interesting word for renew. He used this word ana, which is again, and kanos, which is, uh, which is this word uh, new. Ana kanas, ana again, kanos, new. Now, in the Greek, there's two words for new. There's the one that you see, neos, in relation to time. So this is kind of what we're used to. Neos is like... Um, like, how old is the milk? Like, 
you know, some of you guys are flatting, it's worth checking. Like how, how new is the milk or, uh, you know, how old are you, Calvin? Don't have to answer. You know, like that's, that's new in terms of time. But Carnos is a different sort of newness that we, we are going to struggle with a little bit. But let, I want to try and paint a picture of what that word means. Because Carnos has, has nothing to do in, in terms of newness to time, has everything to do with like how fresh, how much life is on it. It's not to do with time. So the best way that I think... Uh, you can kind of uh, understand this is with the band uh, Rage Against the Machine. So Rage Against the Machine uh, were like this band that pretty, like mum and dad raised me, but then these guys close second because like they like really were a huge part of my life. Who knows who I'm talking about here? Have got any Rage Against the Machine fans? Awesome, well-discipled. Many of you women didn't raise your hands. Um, can I just encourage you to maybe explore Rage Against the Machine as a musical avenue? And... These guys blew my mind. Like it was like where did like where did this come from? Like this the sound, uh, like and and Zach De La Rocha, the lead singer, like he's he's not singing, he's rapping, and it's kind of like this whole like whole new genre, really. Like you know, and there's some really bad bands that were influenced there, like Limp Bizkit and others. It was like, oh, you know. Uh, but like these guys were the originals. And like to this day, when I listen to Rage Against the Machine, I'm like, that is fresh. Like it's still fresh. It's like, oh, that will never age. Like, I'm going to be in the rest home and I'm going to die. I'm going to have to dial it up because I'm already lost half my hair in my left ear from listening to loud music. But I'm going to have to crank it up and it's still just going to be like, oh, that is there's a few naughty words, okay? So I'm not, it's not a pastoral recommendation, but most of you guys are young adults and you're probably good at spitting out the bones and just enjoying the, the, the musical genius of Tom Morello on the guitars and, and Brad Wilk. And it's just like phenomenal. Now, what happened after Rage Against the Machine, who were incredibly canos, really fresh, is that a whole lot of bands then tried to be Rage Against the Machine and it was not fresh anymore. I was in some of these bands in New Zealand. Uh, like... <laughs> Where we, we did Christian versions of Rage Against the Machine. Oh, it's just so embarrassing now. One of my, this wasn't me, but one of my mates whom I love and will not name, he'll kill me. But he, his band did Rage Against the Machine covers, but put Christian spins on the lyrics. So he's like, you've got to do what God tells you. You've got to do what God tells you. And it's just like, oh, it's so awkward. Uh, and so all these kind of like Rage Against the Machine clones came out and it was kind of like, oh, good on you, mate. Like you're giving it a try, but it's just you're imitating these guys and you're doing a bad job at it. So this is what Carnos is all about. Like to this day, right, you can turn on the radio. We've got some colleagues that are in the industry today. And it's like, and I'm sure that there's times when poor Dan dies a little in his soul because he's like, this sounds like everything else. Ugh. You know, and I've become very old very quickly, as you can tell, like, I knew Eden and that went on the side, blah, blah. But, you know, I'm like, it all sounds the same to me. It really does. I turn on the radio, it all sounds the same. But then, like, occasionally a band will come along. Like, the Arcade Fire came along, and I was like, 
oh, man, that's fresh. Oh, awesome. Uh, um, there's a band Mute Math that I got into, and it was like, wow, that's like, and I'm like on the lookout for stuff that's got that carnos on it, on the music. Anyway, I'm, I'm fully, I was, I was just going to briefly mention Rage Against the Machine. I got carried away. Um, but here's the thing. Something can be very old. This is the idea, but at the same time, it can be really new in terms of what God's done in that person's heart and life. So when Paul's saying outwardly we can be wasting away, inwardly we can have a carnos, there can be a freshness to our spirit. And so this taps into this big idea, like, now bear with me here. When you become a Christian, you are choosing to believe that there is a God that loves you and he's forgiven you. And like you've been made right in relationship with God, not because you've done anything. All you've done is simply receive the free gift of his grace and mercy. Amen? Isn't that amazing? It's just like, then, but this is the thing. So the, the theologians call that moment justification. So you've been like justified. You've been made right with God. Now, this is sadly where many people just hit pause. Because actually what the Bible then calls us to, and this passage is just one of, a whole stack of examples, I'm going to show you some in a minute, of sanctification. And this is where God transforms us to become more fully human, more fully alive. And that's the journey of our life. And then one day we'll be glorified, glorification, where, we, where he'll bring the work to completion and we'll see God face to face and we will be fully restored and redeemed. And it's like, wow, so we've got justification, sanctification, and glorification. Is that everyone kind of cool? So if you're like hanging out with some theology nerds, just drop all that on them and be like, yeah, I'm stuff. Uh, so there's, but here's the big thing. The big idea is that God wants to actually do a work in our life that brings us to life more and more and more. He wants to do a sanctifying work in us. There's these incredible scriptures like in Psalm 92 that say they will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, Proclaiming the Lord is upright. Here's my rock and there is no wickedness. Here's the, again, the tragedy is, is this. In our whole culture, it glorifies neos. Oh, you're young, you're hip, you're cool. You guys are neos. We're cool. And then like people that are slightly older in the room, not going to look at anyone or point fingers, but it's like then all of a sudden they're not as valuable for whatever reason. And actually it's the opposite in the kingdom of God that you can journey through life and life is not easy for anyone. You can go through suffering, disappointment, pain. I promise you, if you haven't gone through some, you will. And yet somehow you can go through all of that in your life and you can have a freshness and a greenness to your soul that hasn't become embittered and cynical because of what life is throwing at you. That is what God can do. And that's what he does. It's absolutely awesome. So there's a whole stack of scriptures that speak about the sanctification process. John 10 verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life in all of its fullness. Now who hasn't heard that scripture before, right? It's like just thrown around all the time. But it's, Jesus said it. You know, it's huge. And again, we'll unpack a little bit more of that. Um, uh, what have we got there? Matthew 10, 38. Now this is a real good one. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Yay! Oh, cool! Like, oh, I get to pick up my cross and die a really brutal, torturous, painful death. Pick me, pick me, pick me. It's the worst Tony Robbins moment ever in Jesus' ministry. It's like, why would you say that to do that? But he's, he's right. Like, literally, if you want to follow Jesus, it's almost like you have to die up front. Well, I'm... You know, and here's the beauty. Jesus wants to take you to places that only dead men and women can go. 
right? He wants to take you to, like, why the heck would you leave a job and go to a city where you don't know anyone, where you earn no money and move your whole family and stuff, unless you're a flippant idiot deciding to follow Jesus, where you're like, okay, I'm all yours, God. Do what you want. I'm dead. Now show me what, and here's the thing. You've got to die to yourself, and, and in our uh, culture, particularly for your age, there's a bit of dying to self around being humble, preparing to humble yourself before the Lord and just say, I'm all yours. But when you're prepared to die a little bit for yourself, the story doesn't end on Friday. It ends on Sunday with new life. Amen? Like new life that's way better than the old life. It's an exodus out of slavery into freedom. Like it's life in all of its fullness. And so again, the pathway is you've got to die to yourself a bit, but the story doesn't end with you dying. It ends with you coming alive. And this is the promise of the gospel is that you'd find a life that's richer and more beautiful than ever before. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. So again, um, this is basically, if there's anyone that's studying counseling or as a counselor, this is cognitive behavioral therapy in a verse that's basically saying uh, this idea that uh, how do you be, tra- how you're transformed, how do you get sanctified, how do you change? You've got to challenge your thinking, because there's lies and there's all sorts of stuff that we can say about ourselves or that culture says about us that is not true. And so you either just sit there with it or you start challenging those lies by the truth and the truth sets us free. So be transformed high by the renewing of our mind, by changing the way that you think about yourself or a situation. I've, had, I've been in um, full-time ministry for 15 years now and Every single one of those years, I've been at counseling at some point in the year. <laughs> That's how messed up I am. <laughs> uh, and, like, and again, what is the cross? The cross is going, I need to talk to you, Mr. Counselor Man. Like, do you know how much humble pie you've got to eat to get to that point? Like, that's a lot of humble pie. To go, I need some help. I'm going to pay somebody to help me work out my brokenness. That's the cross. You have to die to yourself. You have to humble yourself. It doesn't feel great. I'm not like, yay, off to the counselor. This is going to be so much fun. Looking at all my... <laughs> no, don't, don't do that. Um, that's why I'm going to counseling. <laughs> so you go to the counseling and you begin to work through some of your brokenness and a good counselor will often give you truth coaches or tr- and a good Christian counselor will help you find passages of scripture that you can memorize and speak over yourself so that when the enemy starts whispering lies to you, you can challenge that with the word of God and you start rewiring your new neurological pathways to start thinking differently about yourself. And here's the great news. The resurrection life looks like you start to like yourself a whole lot more. Oh, it's so good. It's so worth it. It's so good. Anyway, uh, Philippians 3 is an awesome scripture and an easy one to remember because John 3.16, the most famous person in the Bible, is also the same verse numbers. And so if you want to be really clever, here's a new memory verse for you guys for Philippians 3.16. So now let us live up to what we have already attained. What's Paul saying here is, is incredible. He's effectively saying, let us become who we already are in Christ. And because of the cross, you've been declared holy, righteous, loved. You are perfect in the eyes of God because of the sacrifice that Jesus has made. And Paul is saying that is absolutely true. So now become who you already are. Step in to that identity. And again, this is that process of sanctification. 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. 
Again, this idea that we're transformed from glory to glory to become uh, more like Jesus and in doing so more fully alive. Uh, in the early church, there was uh, Saint Arrhenius. Uh, he said, oh, this doesn't work anymore. Next slide, please, um, Georgia. Uh, the glory of God as a man fully alive or, or you know, a bit sexist old arms and um, Arrhenius there. So the glory of God as a man or woman or a human fully alive. This is such a phenomenal thought. You can meditate on this bad boy forever. Like the glory of God is you fully alive. How cool is that? Let's keep moving. N.T. Wright, whoops, sorry, that is working now. N.T. Wright, one of my favorite New Testament scholars in his outstanding book, After You Believe, which is a book about sanctification, uh, and I would so encourage you to read it. But he says this in this book. The aim of the Christian life in the present time, the goal you are meant to be aiming at once you have come to faith, the goal which is within reach, even in the present life, anticipating the final life to come, is the life of a fully formed, fully flourishing Christian character. It's a sense, again, that God is transforming you from glory to glory. That, you would have a, that the goal, once you've come to faith, is that you would have a fully flourishing Christian character. The, the most full-on passage on this, I think, is Galatians 5.22. Paul in Galatians 5 is talking about what does it look like to live as free people now that Jesus has, has done all of this stuff for us. And uh, he's like, and then he contrasts it with the work of the flesh and all this brokenness. You read the, that stuff and you're like, wow, that's a great description of our, our culture's pastimes effectively. And he's like, what does it look like to, what's the fruit of the Spirit? Get this, the evidence the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. Like what is, what is the evidence that that's happening? It's this stuff. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control against such things there are no there is no law can you imagine living like that can you like can you get you know here's the thing with this passage I read the, that passage for years because you hear it on Sunday school and it's plastered on Croatia's walls and all that sort of stuff and it's like you kind of can get a bit inoculated to the power of that scripture because that scripture is saying that, and you know I'd actually looked at that so many times and I thought oh just another scripture that makes me feel like a crap Christian Yay, because I'm seriously just, I don't like anyone. I'm not that happy. I'm anxious about everything. I'm impatient as, I'm not that nice. You know, I'm not, I'm a rat. And I'm not even bringing that to anyone else. I'm not even, you know, by myself. No, don't do that. You go to counseling. Um, but again, I just felt like God began challenging me, going, actually, this isn't for you to bring to somebody. This is for you to experience first and foremost before you can give that to anyone. And it was like, whoa. And then it's like, I felt like God said, hey, don't bother with all of them. Let's just look at the first three, love, joy, and peace. And it was like, hey, Sam, is that your experience for most of your day? It's like, no, 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 it's not. Like, well, what, if, what would it look like if that increasingly became your experience throughout the day, that you would just soak in my love, and when you looked around at the, the people around you, you would have a deep love for them? What would it look like to be filled with joy? I'm like, and I felt like God saying, like, I want you to be joyful. And it's like, ooh, awesome. Like, that's really cool. Okay, and then like, and peace. And like an anxiety-filled, stressed-out world. What would it look like if increasingly your predominant experience was feeling peace? I was just like, my mind got blown. I had brain matter pouring out my ears. It was like, oh, Lordy, that's unbelievable. Like, imagine if that wasn't just a theory, but that became my experience. 
how good life would be. That doesn't remove external suffering and pain and disappointment, but through that, and the early church models this stunningly, especially Paul, that my experience would still be one of love, joy, peace, patience, like, un- insane. Anyway, so this, so I'm, I'm like, I'm in this kind of like period, you know how like you can chew on stuff for months? Like, so I'm like, like cows regurgitate their grass. So I was just like regurgitating this passage for like maybe six months or a year or something. I'm just like thinking about that, like, whoa. And then I had this experience where I'm in the car listening to Hamish and Andy. Who knows who I'm talking about with Hamish and Andy? Cool. Most of you guys, great. If you don't know them, they're actually funny radio DJs. <laughs> now, Dan's, Dan's the exception here because he's actually really, really funny. <laughs> but all the other guys are rubbish. Like, all the guys on ZM, you're like, oh, you're trying way too hard. And yet these guys are just there having just the most awesome banter, right? They're so good. So here's what's happening. When I'm in Christchurch before we moved to Napier, I would drive from the church I oversaw, which was our beach campus, to the city campus, which was 15 minutes drive away. That's where our main offices were. So I'd have to drive between those things like all the time, which in Christchurch, that was tough. 15 minutes. Like, you know, we, we, you know, it was a big deal. Like I commuted those 15 minutes. I had to go to meetings three or four times a day, I'd go back and forth. And so what do you do when you're a Christian in the car? Well, you know, um, sometimes I do phone calls or whatever. You know, and sometimes you're like, oh, you know, I should probably be spiritual, so I'm going to listen to like Tim Keller or get some Hillsong going or see what Dan's saying on the radio or whatever. And it's like, do some Christian stuff. But then like, I was just got a bit over some of that because I'd be in like some intense church meeting about some intense thing. And then it's like I'd hop in the car. And I didn't actually want to like get too intense. So I'd put on Hamish and Andy and like just laugh for 15 minutes like from one meeting to the next meeting and it put me in the best mood going into whatever the next intense church meeting was it was like oh you know and so I just have this crack and there's this one time I'm driving in the car just like cracking up and I felt like God say I love that you're filled with joy right now and get this I feel like he said to me I want you to linger in places of joy as long as you possibly can and I was like, that is the best thing you've ever asked me to do, God. Like most times I like, pick up my cross and follow you. Forgetting, right? <laughs> Forgetting that it leads to life and it leads to joy. And actually God doesn't want you to stay on a cross. He wants you to rise from the grave. And so what does it look like for us to linger in places of life? If there are, if there are moments where you feel with love, then linger in it as long as you possibly can. That's why worship is so beautiful. Uh, If there's moments where you are stressed out and it's all go and you find a patch of peace, stay there as long as you possibly can and train your physiology to get used to that place as a default rather than the stressed out place that you're so used to living in. And this is, what, this is where the fruit of the Spirit gets cultivated. We have got such a dualistic worldview that says certain things are spiritual and certain things are non-spiritual that we are seriously impoverished as followers of Jesus because we have dismissed Hamish and Andy as non-spiritual and Tim Keller as spiritual. But what if it's all spiritual if we're engaging with the fruit of the Spirit and that's cultivated in our life? He wants to grow something in you that's far richer than you've ever experienced in Him. And this is the sanctifying work of God, and it gets better and better and better. So, so what does it look like just 
um, to, to choose this more and more. Here's just some really captain, obvious uh, things to do that help us cultivate this little life, okay? Now, G.K. Chesterton, in a very uh, brilliant and very fat English uh, author back in the day, said that most people don't need to be uh, instructed. They just actually need to be reminded of what they already know. So this is all I'm going to do now. I'm going to remind you of some stuff. I don't know what you're carrying. I don't know what your life's like right now. I don't know where the stress points are, and there will be. I don't know where the dysfunction is, and there will be some. I don't know what your issues are, what your brokenness is. God does, okay? But this is, these are things that we can do that help, that move us forward rather than just keep us stuck. The first thing is that if we're going through whatever, let's get in the habit of praying, now, how often is that like the last thing we do because we're like we're absolutely at our wit's end? <laughs> like so often, I'm you know this is like this when we're moving to Napier. God really was trying to like just remind me that prayer is really good to chill you out. And you know, like we, uh, we couldn't get a mortgage for um, a house in Napier because the banks weren't that impressed with my income streams, which are these little dribbles of just. Dollars that filter occasionally into our bank account. So uh, eventually, um, I'm just freaking out. And like, I'm like, I'm trying to like ring up guys that I know from our church that work in banks. I'm like, bro, is there anything, like, is there any way we can make this happen? And I'm like, and I'm, fre- I'm freaking out. I'm like losing sleep. And it's like, and then like, God's like, uh, you want to pray? And I'm like, mm-hmm. and you know how like prayer's like, yeah, but it's not doing anything, you know? And then it's like, God's like, Psh! Like I'm the freaking God of the universe. Everything you see I created. How about you just, you know, just kind of sidle on up to me and have, let's have a chat. Uh, and it's like, oh, yeah, okay. Uh, Philippians 4 verse 6, don't be anxious about anything. Like Paul's pushing it hard there. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And so again, it's like, let's get on my knees, Lord. I'm freaking out right now. We're going to be homeless. Uh, and um, and it's the, again, it's that, that sense of God's peace just comes as we get on our knees. Whatever situation you're in, prayer is just so powerful. It's a really good place. Let's encourage each other as a crew. You know, it's like, bro, let's just pray about that. You know, let's bring this to God. Uh, and the Anglican pension board came to the party in the end. God blessed the Anglicans and uh, gave us some money. Suckers. Uh, so far, we're... <laughs> paying it off just because this podcast <laughs> so the first thing is to pray so whatever we're going through it's just to get on our knees I love that picture you know just to, we're a very proud generation guys and prayer is humbling ourselves before the almighty God and saying I need you I need you in this moment and I love that you guys are going into a series on prayer it's such a powerful powerful way of communing with God and it's so good for our souls to, to be doing that the second thing to do is to process, uh, and so um, it's not a healthy thing if you're feeling stressed out, anxious, burdened, worried, struggling with something, to just try and bottle it up, or just to think that just by praying, then it's all sorted. Actually, it's really healthy to process. Now, I married an external processor, <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I know that some of us process differently, um, so uh, I'm in, I've discovered very, very strongly I'm an internal processor. So I, you know, I will just be thinking about things, and Jen's like, my wife's like, what's going on inside your head? I'm like, I'm just thinking about stuff, and and then eventually after a process, then we can begin to talk about it. She processes by externally uh, kind of talking about everything, and and for quite some time, sometimes that's all good. Um, <laughs> 
And you know, like the, the scripture I want to point to in terms of processing is the entire book of the Psalms. Like this is David's journal, effectively. Journaling is a great way to process. It's a really, I find it as an internal process is so good. But certainly I think for external processes as well because it can bounce around your head so much and you feel like you're processing and processing. But when you start journaling, which is effectively so much of the Psalms are these journaling prayers to God where it gets on paper and it gets out of your head and the size of your issue you can actually see. And it's just a very, very healthy thing to do. Um, and like some of the Psalms, man, they're like brutally honest. Like just, if someone prayed like this, like we had a prayer meeting before the service. Imagine if I was like, Lord, there are people coming today, close up their callous hearts because they speak arrogance. And you're like, sheesh, bro, like, what has happened to you that you're like praying these angry prayers in a prayer meeting? Um, I mean, Anyway, David, David just goes there. So processing is just such a good thing to do in the midst of all of that. Uh, something, you know, again, um, this is again Captain Obvious, but you pray your process, um, then make a plan. Like for me, with some of the issues that I've had to deal with from my history and my brokenness, it's just like you've got to move beyond someday I'm going to sort this out to putting a plan in place to ring the counsellor to confess whatever issue is with, with a mate that's going to help you through it or to, um, to do something, you know, to book into a course or something that's going to help you move past what these issues are. And particularly if the, the issue has just repeated itself time and time again in your life, you've got to make a plan and ideally, in community, make a plan to help you move past that cycle into some new ground. So making a plan is, again, so, so helpful in the early church when um, there's just, it's filled with structure and plans. Uh, the, the Bible is this beautiful tension between just spontaneous spirit-led moments and the Spirit of God bringing order and structure and putting plans in place to move people forward. It's, it's both. And so, again, I don't know what it is, but... but if you're not making a plan, then don't think that you're going to change or get sanctified. It's just like that just doesn't happen. You actually have to go, this is what I'm going to do to change that thinking, change that behavior, break that addiction, sort out that relationship, whatever it may be. And, and normally it's the inner world of just working out what is broken in you that has caused that to, to even if you feel like you're a victim, there'll be brokenness that God wants to heal in you through those, those experiences. But we put plans in place and again, sit down with Calvin or sit down with some of the pastors here to, to move forward. And lastly, the great uh, mental strength and gift that God wants to give us is to be able to park our issues and our brokenness. Like, this is so important. Like, we love sitting in our little poo-poo piles. Look at me all covered in my brokenness and poo-poo. And it's like, you know what? You can take a shower and just leave it and park it and, and, and actually move on. And again, um, Jesus challenged his disciples on this pretty straight. In Matthew 6, 27, can any of one of you by worrying add a single day to your life? Sometimes we stew, like we've prayed, we've planned, we've processed, and we're still stewing on stuff. And you know what that is? That's actually pride. Because that says that somehow that stewing and that worrying is somehow going to change the situation, and it never does. Like, and I know this sounds really clinical, but I've had to learn as a pastor 
that when I hear people's burdens and problems, my job is to be fully present with them in the moment. You know, I'm sitting down with Dan, he's telling me all this stuff, and my job is to be fully present with Dan, to hear, to, to, to empathize, to feel what he's feeling, to pray for him as a pastor. When Dan leaves the office, I need to park it. Because I'm not with Dan anymore, and me stewing over Dan's problems does nothing for Dan and nothing for me, but rob me of life. There were tragically times where I'd be in my lounge with my children, stewing on something that I had no control over, and missing out on playing silly games with my kids. And it's like, that's just like, why? And so I've learned that you can park your issues. Now, there's a difference between parking it and burying it, <laughs> okay? So then I'm like, oh, yeah, he's going to park it permanently over here so we never have to deal with this ever again. No, I'm saying that tonight's Guy Fawkes night. And that you know what, I don't know what you're going through, but you can put a pin in whatever stuff you're going on and you can go hang out with your friends and watch some things explode and have a fantastic night with your friends. And tomorrow morning, you can begin to pray, plan, process and all the rest of it in terms of, but we have to be able to learn in terms of relationships to be able to park these things so that we can be present with each other and present with God. And uh, again, it took me a while to learn that skill, but again, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow can worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That's some good advice. And sometimes I think, particularly as young people, we're so anxious and freaked out about the future that we're actually robbed of the joy and life of the present. And God actually wants us to, to teach us to be just present in these moments. I come into land with this. I, um, I was... You know, I was like, God, really? Like the sanctifying thing? Is it just like what inspirational preachers say, or is it real? Like, right? Who's with me? Like, am I actually, is this actually possible, or is this just like Tony Robbins, but with a bit of Jesus in there, you know? And you know what changed my whole perspective on this thing? Oh, there's a kitten. Don't know why I put that in there, so it's good. Um... This is my grandfather. He passed away about three years ago. And some of you may have if you've heard me speak before. I normally mention my grandfather because he, uh, he's the guy that convinced me that sanctification is legitimate truth. Now, uh, my grandfather became a Christian in World War II. In the olive fields of Greece, he knelt down and gave his life to the Lord. He has gone through unbelievable pain and suffering in his life. He said in World War II that he would have breakfast with his best mate, and by morning tea time, he was burying his best mate. I, I can't comprehend that sort of pain and that sort of environment. Like it's, you know, we watch movies and all the rest of it. He lived it. It's just another level. When he came back to New Zealand, he married their children. Uh, tragically, my grandmother uh, took her life for, after struggling with postnatal depression for many, many years. And uh, I never met her, but it, it must, you know, it did. It broke my grandfather's heart. Absolutely broke his heart. Um, my grandfather never, um, he never worked in a church, right? So like, you know how like, a lot of our Christian heroes are like preachers or worship leaders? He never worked in a church. He was an accountant at Magnum Motors selling cars in Wellington, right? But just that moment when he knelt down in, in uh, the olive fields of Greece in World War II and gave his life to the Lord was a, a genuine moment for him. He fell in love with Jesus. And he, 
attended church faithfully week in, week out. He read the scriptures every single day. He wrote in a little notebook the names of every single person in our family that wasn't a Christian. And every single person in our family wasn't a Christian when he became a Christian. And not just like, you know how there's some like, People that are like Christians, they just haven't met Jesus yet, like really good people who's going to meet Jesus. That was not our family. Like, I don't want to go into details, but it was pretty wild, okay? It was the hippie era and stuff went down. There's whatever. Uh, and so, he and one by one, he prayed for them every single day they'll come to know the love of God. And over the course of 60 years following Jesus, one by one, he would just put a line through uh, until it was just one person left too. I don't know if she became a Christian or not. Great Auntie Patsy. She was tough, man. Ooh, tough. Ooh, tough. Apart from Great Auntie Patsy, every single person in our family became a Christian. And our whole family line has changed because of the prayers of that man. But the most amazing thing was this, that as Pop went on in years, this, I, this is the way I describe it, he got more and more fruity. Not in the e way, but like in like, uh, but in the fruit of the spirit way, like he was so fruity you could eat him at the end of his life. It was incredible. He was the he's to the, the most godly man I've ever met. He was so filled with love, so filled with joy, so filled with peace. Just stunning. I would hang out with my grandfather and it was like standing in the presence of a holy man. And like I'd feel rebuked and convicted and encouraged and stirred up and really motivated to sort out my junk. And he would just be talking about the garden or something. You're just like, how do you do that, man? Like, and um, that, the, the photo on the right there is my mum reading. My, my grandfather lost his eyesight as he got older. Um, and the, the best thing you could do for my grandfather, which my mum's doing in that picture, is you could just, if you read the scriptures to him, it was like he'd died and gone to heaven. He would sit there and he would just be like this. And it was like you could just, his soul was just getting fed. He loved Ephesians. It was his favorite book. But here's the thing. My grandfather got more and more sanctified as he immersed himself in the life of Jesus. He got transformed. He became the best man I've ever known. Our firstborn, um, whose name is Eli, his middle name is Bruce in honor of my grandfather, Bruce Huff, because he has impacted my life. He, not through anything, he's kind of spoke to me directly. I mean, we chat and stuff, but just the, his countenance, the way he lived. And I'm like, that's the dream, people. That is the dream, that we will get transformed from glory to glory. Three years ago, my grandfather died, and he's glorified. The work's done. I don't think Jesus had much to do with pop. <laughs> We're like, all right, let's just tidy a few things up there, and you're fully, fully glorified now. For me, it'd be like, oh, crikey, get the, get the sanders out, boys. We've got a bit to carve off. But, uh, you know, he, he was just, and that's the dream. And this is, the enemy has come to destroy and you guys see in our culture all around us, lives getting utterly destroyed. Depression is rampant. And again, I'm not, uh, we've had that in our family line. There's no silver bullet. But in Jesus, there's always hope. And there's always, a, there's always healing. And there's always a way forward. And he wants to bring us to life more and more and more. He wants to make us more fully human. This is the truth of the gospel. This is found in relationship with Jesus. And this is what he wants for you. Isn't that amazing? This is what he wants for you. That you. This is my dream now. My dream is that my children's children brag about Sam Harvey one day. Like, oh, he's an old man. And who knows what sort of social media things are happening or what the world's going to look like in like, you know, 80 years from now, whatever, we know we're going to die. But it's like, I want 
I, I'm like, man, imagine if my kids were, were talking about Sam Harvey the same way I'm talking about my grandfather. Like, my grandfather doesn't even know that. I just think he, you know, he, he hopefully he does now he's in heaven. But, you know, I'm just like, wow, that's the dream. Like, there's all these dreams that we may have, but how about we make our dream is that we'll be sanctified by God and that we'll become more fully alive and more fully human in that process. That's what he longs for every single one of you. Every single one of you, that's his dream for you, is that you'd know that sort of life. It's not a pipe dream. It's not just for a select few. It's for all who would come and humble themselves before the Lord Almighty, take up their cross, die to themselves, and in doing so, find a life that's richer and more beautiful than you could ever imagine. Let's stand together and pray.